This podcast is brought to you by Story King Books. Sign up now and get a free copy of my latest ebook, Launch Your Podcast Like a Pro. The link will be in the show notes. And now for today's episode. Welcome to the Story King Podcast, a show featuring inspirational conversations about the art and business of storytelling and living life. I'm your host, John Carlo, and today's guest is writer, critic, and professor of American and Latinx literature, J.L. Torres. J.L. Torres was born in Calle, Puerto Rico, a town in the center of the island, and grew up in the South Bronx. After his formal education, he returned to the island to find material for his writing. He now lives in New York and has recently retired from teaching literature and creative writing at SUNY. His books focus on the Puerto Rican diasporica, living in in-betweenness. He explores what it means to live a life yearning for belonging when your nation and home are empty concepts and you have no historical memory of what they ever meant. His latest book, Migrations, is a collection of short stories featuring a cast of characters estranged from their loved ones, family, culture, and collective history. It is the inaugural winner of the Tomas Rivera Prize from the LA Review of Books, here is my conversation with J.L. Torres. J.L. Torres, welcome to the Story King podcast. Hi, how are you? Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Excited to have this conversation. You're a different kind of guest. You have a unique life experience. And as I start out all my conversations, I'd like to know a little bit about your story. Why don't you tell us some of your background and so forth? Okay, I'm gonna. Okay, well, um, I was born in Puerto Rico, Calle Puerto Rico, which is which is a town in sort of in the middle, uh, sort of in the Cordillera, you know, highlands. Uh, I came to the U.S. you know when I was six years old. When my mother took me here. Uh, I grew up in the South Bronx during the '60s and '70s. Um, all my formal education was in, in the United States. And I eventually did a few things here and there, freelance writer, you know, comes to different kind of odd jobs, and you know, right after college. But then I settled into, into teaching at the university level. I did that for 40 years until this year uh, when I retired. And uh, I'm also a writer. I've been a writer. I, I, one of the things I taught at the university level was creative writing. And I've published four books of creative writing, three fiction, one poetry. And I just finished publishing a collection of short stories called Migrations, uh, which won, won the uh, Tomas Rivera Book, Book Prize uh, last year. And um, basically, you know, I'm, I, I'm, you know, besides being a teacher, and, and that's the core of what I am, I'm also a father. I have two sons. Uh, you know, one is a millennial, and the other one is an iGen. Uh, I've been married for 34 years. You know, I live in upstate New York, which is strange for me because I grew up in New York City. And that's, that's uh, you know, I'm like really close to the Canadian border. In fact, mm. my wife and I, before COVID, we would always go to Montreal because it's like an hour away. Mm. And uh, it's a great city. I would, I would tell anyone, any of your viewers slash listeners uh, to go if they have because it's really a great city. But so that's pretty much it. I don't know if I've left anything out. I've done so many of these podcasts that I should have this yeah. down, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. I just wanted a little bit of background there. Yeah, 
you know, I too, I'm, I'm from Queens and I, and we're living in Tennessee at the moment. So it's a very different, uh, very different life. You win. <laughs> you know, I'm staying in New York. I thought it was like, wow, but Tennessee. Wow. Okay. You That's know, a story. Where we're at, it doesn't feel that much different from Long Island. We're in, very much in a suburban area. We're not like out in the sticks. You know, the sticks are close, though. So you must be on Memphis. What, we're we're 30, 30 minutes from Nashville. So we're like okay. a suburb of Nashville, you know, so it's called Murfreesboro where we're at. So we just moved there. We've been there a little over a month or so. Uh, so I was wondering, you, you mentioned the school, but I, I didn't catch it. What school did you just retire from teaching? Uh, SUNY Plattsburgh. It's part of the SUNY Plattsburgh. system. Oh, SUNY, okay. After California has the biggest state system. And this is, you know, this is one of the campuses. Gotcha. Now, what kind of creative writing did you teach over there? Was it, was it fiction or poetry or both or? Yeah, I was mostly a, a fiction, uh, you know, and I did a lot of stuff. I, I designed a course in flash fiction, for instance. Um, and, but I also, because I'm, I do poetry too. Uh, I also did poetry. I taught poetry also. So, you know, both. Okay. Now I understand you also teach Latinx literature, or I should say you, you did teach cause you just retired, but, uh, that you taught Latinx literature. What kind of, what, what authors and books are we talking about? Oh my goodness. I mean, it's well, one of the things about a lot of people don't realize how extensive and deep Latinx literature is. I mean, it goes back to the 16th century, you know, I mean, when you think about, uh, you know, Cabeza de Vacas, yeah, no, 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 <laughs> this is just <laughs> in the Americas, you know, oh, really? that's another threat, right? That, that, right, that, right. But we're talking about in the United States, in America, in the Americas, specifically North America and the U.S., if you talk about U.S. literature and, and, and Latinx literature is part of that. Uh, it, it goes back to 1542, if I got my numbers for my dates correct, oh, wow. with uh, La Relacion, which was Cabeza de Vaca's account of his uh, sort of travels in what would be eventually, you know, the United States. And that's the first book that was published about this place and that experience, which is very much, quite frankly, you know, you can take, I, one of the things I exercise I would say with my students is, you know, kind of take what he wrote and see if you can project it into what you're going to be reading you know, later on in the semester. And a lot of them got it, you know, there was mm. a issue about machismo, you know, I mean, there was really, it's, it's a fountain of amazing stuff in this account and, and just the idea of identity because he doesn't feel like a Spaniard anymore. You know, he feels like he's now, he, he, he encounters the indigenous people and that's a whole different experience. So it's deep Latinx literature. And then there's Chicano literature, which I, I did work on. And, and then now uh, the literature of the Puerto Rican diaspora, which I decided to really focus on because not enough work was being done. And uh, along with Camina de Rivera, we came out with the first book, academic book mm. on that literature. And also includes Dominican, American literature, Cuban, American, all the different ethnicities and, and nationalities of people, you know, from Latin America that come to the U.S. and write about their experience, mostly in English. Right. This Spanish and was mostly English. That's what I taught for, for many. And this, that course that I teach, I put like 500 years of literature. Like <laughs> 15 weeks is like the students like, ah! but you know, it's a lot of, a lot of material. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I, I'm curious about something because I spoke to uh, a young filmmaker by the name of Desiree Abeda. She's she, New York based. And mm. we were talking about magical realism. And I forgot what she was. She's like of Cuban descent or something. I, I forgot. But some type of Hispanic has, has a descent and 
we were talking about how prevalent it is in a lot of like the South American literature and, you know, Gabriel Garcia Marquez and all these people. And, and I said, you know, why do you think magical realism is so prevalent in Spanish culture? And she had an interesting answer. And I would wonder if you would agree with it. She said that she saw it as a response to the trauma of colonialism. And I thought that was an interesting uh, response, you know, no, no, there's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. But, you know, I, I think it's it, interesting that she's Cuban and really started in Cuba. Right. Uh, with with uh, Alejo Carpentier, who was really the first, like one of the first books that deal with it. And again, but we're all Latin Americans, you know, understand colonialism because from for Spain and, and for some of us like Puerto Ricans, we're still colonialized. But uh, so we still, we, you know, we're not even post-colonial. <laughs> we're still colonial. <laughs> but, but um, you know, it, 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 there's some truth to that because, what colonization does, it, it makes you very aware of you as the other, the colonized, and understands this power that's, that's, that's controlling you. But then you can't help in that symbiotic relationship to pick up on some of their, their stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's a very syncretic thing because it brings in a lot of sort of the religiosity of, you know, some Catholicism and mysticism. Right. But at the same time, it also is based very some folklore and, and very much in the, in the indigenous and African roots of of our cultures, so um, yeah, I, I think there's some there's some truth to it. But it even goes beyond that because it is really a way. I always think of Garcia Marquez, who, who who really was uh, someone who really made this come alive. He didn't invent it, but he used to always say that magical realism to me. I think of my grandmother who's telling a story, and the most like surreal, mystical stuff that's probably part spiritual you know and she says it like a like a pan face like it's it's happening and that to me <laughs> is metaphorically what it, because you know you have in his books for instance, you have a, a a scene where one of the characters is taken away with like thousands and thousands of butterflies you know which is an amazing scene that I, I still visualize. And, and they just pick her up and take her and she flies away. I mean, it's like, but, you know, the, the telling of it is not like hysterical, whatever. It's like, oh, yeah. And then, you know, she was walking by and you know, all, these, all these butterflies came and just, you know, just grabbed her. Right. It happened. It's, you know what I mean? I mean, that kind of thing. And, and that is what makes it interesting because it also is culturally how we tell stories and the, the fantastical is an everyday thing for us because we see things in Latin America that we can't see anywhere else in the world, and right. that I think is is the core of it. It's, she's right, but it but it's not only that. You know, it's it's, it's right. It's yeah, I mean, I because I've always been a fan of magical realism, but I've never heard it framed that way. So so it made me think. I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. You know, I guess her whole point was trying to hold on to your roots, as you said, like you're being colonialized. They're trying to rip you and, you know, retrain you this and that. So magical realism was a way of holding on to, like you said, the folklore, the, the religious traditions, all of that. Um, right. So it's interesting. I know. I, th I think she's right about that. But, you know, the thing is that you cannot, if you're a colonized person, you cannot help this other entity that has been in your history. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Spanish influence is, is deep. I mean, there's no way you can get around it. Right. Even though. So it's, it's we're hybrids. That's what that's Latin Americans are hybrids. We're really people who are we're multiracial. We're multi. I mean, this is a fact. The whole Americas, in my opinion, that's what it's about. This is the last place that was really inhabited by by all these other places in the world, right? We had indigenous populations. That's it. That's what we had. And mm -hmm. then all these other people come, start coming. And of course, it's, it's a melange. You know, it's a mosaic. It's 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 a sancocho, as we say in Puerto Rico, right? right. It's this wonderful mix of all these things. 
And that's also what's representative in that because, you know, you, you want to retain your roots, but you can't retain your original roots. Those days are over. I mean, there's no way that you can do it. You can bring back some of it. Right. right? And, and kind of integrate it into, into this other world that has been evolving. But it's fascinating um, just looking at that one thing that's right. very indicative. And only that came out of Latin America, of Latin American literature. The, the magical realism. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's ours. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting, though. There are Latin, like one of my favorite writers, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, it's an Italian one, Italo Calvino. Uh, yes. Yeah, he's, he's one of my favorite writers. And he writes, uh, they call it like, he, they consider him like a fabulist. But to me, it reads very much like a lot of Gabriel Garcia Marquez stuff. Yeah. And, you know, Kafka, and, you know, it has, has a lot of that feel to it, you know, so it has a feel to it. Yeah. But the, mm -hmm. the literary historian will tell you, well, yes, but a fabulous is really a little bit more different. You know what I mean? Right. So, but, but you, it's all the, the details, but, but there are similarities for sure. For mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. So who are some of your personal favorite authors and books? Yeah. I'm always asked that question. And I think, <laughs> I've, and I've done several podcasts and probably every, every one of them has different answers. <laughs> I can't feel, I have so many influences and I have so many, so many writers that I love. And I did, it's like a love affair. I feel like I, I like you know every time I, I say something, I betray him, and I'm I'm just like, you know, giving up on somebody, <laughs> moving on to another relationship. Uh, so I don't know. I I I think, and I'll give you sort of the standard. Early on in my in my life, you know, Piri Thomas was a very important impact. I don't know if you're familiar with Down These Mean Streets, but it was one of the first times that I really read about Puerto Ricans, mm. by Puerto Rican, you know. And that was eye-opening. Oh, wow, Puerto Ricans can write about, we can write about this stuff. <laughs> and so that was very important, even though my life was nothing like Perry Thomas. Perry Thomas was a guy that was basically writing those um, 60s uh, memoirs. They called it a novel, but it wasn't. It was really a memoir, a good one, uh, about his life. And he was in a gangs, you know, and he was, he was a, an addict. He went to jail because he, 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 you know, was uh, in a gang that was you know, robbing and he almost got caught and then he shot a police officer and lucky for him that he did not kill him because he would have been executed and we would have no <laughs> period time as ever. Those days they had the, you know, electric chair. And right. so he, he went to jail and that's basically his life, you know, his life about that. But, but, but he also wrote about his family and the struggles, his family, you know, the, the colorism in his family, all these things are still valid today and very important. So I, I gravitated to that because I mean, I'm, I wasn't in any gangs. I mean, I'm not, you know, I was, I was a good kid, you know, for the most part living in the South Bronx, but you know, seeing stuff, but, but I didn't, that was not my life, but I, I definitely identified with his poor inkiness and the fact that he was writing about his family, what his family was going through as a working class family, all that stuff. Very important for me, you know, to, to, to see this guy. And so now I'm going to write my story from my perspective about that experience. That was very important. I mean, but even before him, it was Bernard Malamud. I don't know if you're familiar, but he was a Jewish American writer, a very good one. So that I see, I see that this guy's writing sort of about his own ethnicity, you know, mm -hmm. and Jewish people, and that you could do that because, you know, in school, all we were reading is white, you know, uh, Anglo Saxon writers, you know. Mm -hmm. And so to read somebody like Bernard Malamud early on, who was Jewish and writing a different experience than that, was to me, somebody who is, you know, who's been othered and kind of feels othered in this world. That was big for me. But, but I love, oh, I, I, I mean, Martin Espada is a poet. I think he's a fantastic poet. Uh, Willy Podomo, who's also a fantastic poet from sort of writing a lot about African. I mean, there's so much out there that I really 
feel I'm sliding somebody if I just pick one or two or whatever. You know, there's so there's a, a lot of talent out there. You know, I mean, right now I'm reading Eduardo Lado, you know, who, who wrote this novel called C uh, Simon. Simone, I guess it's pronounced. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. I mean, I'm like, I'm like two thirds through it. This guy is really good writing. He's Puerto Rican from Puerto Rico. So, and I think he's really good. You know, and then when it comes to Mexican American, uh, Luis Alberto uh, Orea, who, who chose, who picked my book as the winner of that prize. Uh, and I'm not just saying this because he picked it, because before that, I loved his writing. I taught it in my classes. He also writes a lot of magical realism in it and, and um, just wonderful writing. So, I don't know. I go through phases. You know, there was a phase that I, I, I you know, Hemingway, you know, Fitzgerald. Mm -hmm. Fitzgerald still is a, is a, is a writer that I, that I love his short stories because I, I think basically and fundamentally I'm a short story writer and I love his short stories. I've learned so much from it. I learned a lot from Alice Monroe, who's a, who's a, a wonderful storyteller. So that's very, and I tell you, I can go on, but I just, I just cannot pick one or two. I just feel that these writers all in different parts of my life had an impact and an influence. Absolutely. That, that's fair to say. Yeah, I just wanted a little taste of your uh, favorites. You don't have to uh, give your ultimate. I know it, I go through moods, too. It's really uh, depending on on my mood for that for that season. Do you read only in English or do you read in Spanish as well? I, I read in both. In fact, the Lalo book I, wrote in I read in Spanish. I'm reading in Spanish. And, um, you know, it's, I'm a little rusty in a way because it's, you know, it's very different when you're writing somebody who has so much mastery of, of a particular language. Because I'm not, I don't have that mastery in, in Spanish. I, 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 I'm working on my English one as it is. So I feel that it's some, I have to read in Spanish. I cannot read something like that in, in English. I, I would be doing it. I mean, I can read it. So I should read it. One of my goals is to read Bolaño, who's another fabulous writer, Latin American Chilean writer. Um, he has a, a, a volume called uh, 2666. That's what I want to, I know that's going to be, sometimes I do have to look up things like, but first of all, Chilean, you know, Chilean, the Puerto Rican one I knew because of the slang I know, and, I, and that's my, you know, Puerto Rican Spanish is my thing. Right. But there's some other words that's okay. What, what, I think I know what he means, but let me look, because I wasn't sure. But it comes again, it's been a while since I've really read Spanish, I have to say, it. but I, I read both. Yeah, it's interesting. One of my favorite poets is Pablo Neruda, but I love Neruda. That's a nice thing. I read his <laughs> English though, you know. So oh, it's interesting because I'm. It's interesting. He's my favorite poet, and yet I'm not reading the native language, you know. But like the translation of it, I'm like, wow, this this is amazing, you know. So it, I mean, it's a testament to both the uh, the translator and and to the author himself, you know. But it's an art, absolutely. Yeah. People you know, just destroy, <laughs> destroy a particular, you know, um, story or narrative, you know, that you feel this is, because, you know, if, if it's awkward in English, it's like, you're not doing justice to this translation. It should read as if that, if this work were done in English, right? Mm -hmm. and that's how you have to be really fluent in both languages, really. But do you read Spanish? Can, I don't. Can you? No, no, I, I can't read. I mean, I'd, I'd be able to make out a couple of things, but not enough to appreciate you know, the, right, the language. I, is it true that you have some kind of Latinx background? And my my wife is Puerto Rican. Oh, your uh, wife is Puerto Rican? Yeah, okay. I'm not. I'm, I'm Italian and Irish. My wife is Puerto Rican, so. Oh, so you are related. <laughs> <laughs> right. Marriage. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but I'm sure you get a lot, a lot from osmosis. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And my, my father's married to... Uh, salvadorian so there's been you know latin culture throughout my whole you really? know f yeah. throughout my life you never know 
mean, your, your name is Gandini, Italian, but you could be Puerto Rican with that name. Right. Well, you know, my wife's maiden name is Olivella, but she's, you know, all of her grandparents were born in Puerto Rico, you know, so that, but it sounds very Italian, you know, but as oh, yeah. far as, you know, they know as far as their Spanish descent, they know that through ancestry.com and all that. So, but, yeah. um, but, you know, like I said, it doesn't sound like a Puerto Rican name that you're, that yeah, you're used yeah, to, you know yeah, what I mean? Well, no, but yeah, but I mean, I had friends that one friend was named Beauchamp, mm. you know, another one. And then of course there's, you know, Eddie Palmieri, one of the great salsa. <laughs> that's as Italian right. as you get that name. Yeah. And because there were, you know, there were people who, who did migrate to Puerto Rico from Italy and from, and from different parts of uh, right. you know, Southern Europe, you know, so yeah, yeah it's, it, it can happen. And that in Beauchamp's French, I'm pretty sure French, some French person. It sounds French. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there was, a, I think in the 18th century, there was some French people that left Haiti and came to Puerto Rico. Right. So. That would make sense. I want to talk a little bit about the term Latinx. I was reading, I read that a 2019 national survey of Latinos found that only 3% at that time of Hispanics have used the term Latinx. Sure, it's grown since then over the last two years, but why the term Latinx? Can you break it down for us? And do you think this term will enter more of a widespread parlance or do you think it's going to be a temporary linguistic trend? What do you think? Okay, well, if anybody really wants to get my full take on this. I, I wrote a, a, an article, an essay from my, from my blog, which is why Latinx exactly <laughs> that question. Okay. And I kind of break it down the arguments and all that stuff, but to give you the short and, and you know, it's, it's post Barrio universe is my blog. So they can, they can check whatever. I think it's one of those words that comes out of academia, but that eventually starts, you know, filtering into the, into the, in the mainstream. And, and it's because we live in a world that's trying to become more inclusive and it's an umbrella term. Right. I mean, it's just like Latino was before. And some people still use Latin. You know, we're not Latin. There's nothing. Latin. We're not. Latin is the language <laughs> or the, you know, there's not even a nationality. It was a, a language that all these romance languages came out of. So I don't know why people still say I'm Latin. You know, I don't know what right. that means. <laughs> it's not a very good one. Uh, Latino is very masculine because, you know, Ends with the o, right. it's a romance language and it's Latino, Latino. And people say, why are we always using Latino? That's again, you know, the whole sexist thing that is not being inclusive when you have a group of people that are, are mixed, which includes, by the way, people who might be transgender, right? You know, so when you're using Latino, it's like, you know, the woman says, I'm not, I'm a Latina, I'm not a Latina. So Latinx is an attempt to resolve these issues, right, of, of exclusivity, because it excludes people. And it's an umbrella term for a lot of different people. So you might be talking about which we need. You could be Puerto Rican, you could be Mexican American, you could be Cuban, all these types of, how do you talk about all those groups without saying, you know, in a sentence, or if you're speaking, Colombians, Salvadorians, you know, <laughs> go down the list, right? You need an umbrella term. And that, that's how language works. Linguistics works that way. It's what leads us to the most efficient way to, for discourse, right? In talking, speaking, writing. So it's going to stay. It's going to stay. There's no way that you can get around that, especially in the politic, the political climate today. Some people don't like it. Some people who are purists, and I, I deal with that in my, in my essay. Um, I think most of the arguments are weak. And I think that it's going to be, uh, it's a useful term. And as a useful term, it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue being used. Uh, 3% back then, I should, I think it's probably 15, 20% now in, in, in catching, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and people say, well, how do you pronounce that? Just like Latinx. I mean, what, right. <laughs> what, what, how can you pronounce that in Spanish? And I says, well, you know, just think of the X, E, X, this words, you know, right. Mexico, 
M-E-X, Mexico, Mexico, right? Mexico, you know, Latinx. <laughs> right. They make like make these really silly kind of comments, I think, that are not really valid. But, you know, whatever they want to argue, the reality is that language is not done in a vacuum. There's a mm-hmm. reason that this word emerged. It's political, it's social, it's a lot of other issues. And um, that's the way language works. If it's it, if it useful, if it's useful, people are going to use it. And I think it will be used because every time I used to use Latino, I said, yeah, that is kind of messed up because I'm like excluding a lot of people when I say Latino. And, you know, it's language has power. You know, you keep saying Latino. It's just like everything else, right? Everything was he, 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 every time you read something. And it's like in our minds, then we're always thinking of men. And the world doesn't function like that. And it shouldn't function like that. We should be thinking of all the people that make up our society, right? Not just men. So I think it comes from, from that that concern, and I think it's valid, and it's going to continue being used. I'm sure. Yeah. So you see it as a reconciliation of those those issues. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Until they could come up with a better one, because language is fluid. Right. Some will come up with a better one, but for now, to me, me personally, and and I, I use this. I use. I have to use this. I write about this stuff all the time. In fact, my course it was used to be Latina slash Latino literature, mm. and then I changed it to Latinx. One of the last things I did before, before I left, I made sure that officially the, the title was changed. And it was Latinx Literature and Culture now that the course is called. So, yeah, we make changes because we always find better terms to talk about the things we talk about. Right. And I I would love to put that link of the article you wrote in, in the show notes as well, so, sure. so that the listeners could uh, I'll, check I'll, it out I'll deeper as well. Yeah. Hey, everybody, I just wanted to take the time to let you know about my latest book. It's called Massimo's Mirror and Other Stories. It's my first collection of short stories. The book uses fantasy, science fiction, and fairy tales to create a world where a magical array of protagonists conquer their fears, battle forces of evil, and step up to meet their potential. Suitable for the secular and religious alike, these stories are full of symbolism and quirky characters, including aliens, robots, angels, demons, superheroes, gods, animals, giants, monsters, and dragons, and just the right length to hold the attention of children and adults alike. All 50 stories are crafted to entertain and make us see behind the veil of reality and perhaps teach something along the way. The ebook and paperback editions are available on Amazon. You can purchase an autographed copy on my website, storykingbooks.com. Also, if you sign up on Story King Books with your email, you'll get a free copy of my latest PDF resource, Launch Your Podcast Like a Pro. And now back to today's episode. Your work focuses on what you refer to as a living in-betweenness, the Puerto Rican diasporica. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, diasporica, but it's really diasporican. Right. Well, another term, right? Well, terminology, you know, you define yourself by what you call yourself, right? And so, so I went from New Rican to Diasporican, and there's reasons for that. But yeah, it's Diasporican, meaning Puerto Ricans living in a diaspora. And I don't know how, you know, if your listeners, they might know what the diaspora, people think diaspora, they automatically think of the Jewish diaspora. Right. But there's all kinds of diasporas. This diaspora is, you know, this African diaspora, which really is the biggest maybe besides the Chinese diaspora, because a lot of Chinese people living outside of China, right? Uh, and you can find them all over Latin America, all over the world, right? So there's a diaspora there. So it's people who leave Puerto Rico and through all 50 states, the Puerto Ricans, all 50 states, and also all over the world. So we, we're dispersed too. Now, is diaspora, 
is it more of a forced spreading out or like what what's what's the cause of it yeah most diasporas are i mean yeah. think of it this way uh if you live in your homeland you're happy that's where your family is that's where your roots why would you leave mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't want to leave you don't want to leave right puerto ricans have had in the case of puerto ricans i mean we know the jewish diaspora why right it's because they they didn't have a homeland and then they were dispersed into different worlds because they were constantly persecuted so they had to move from here to there and etc Uh, so that's that this yeah the Puerto Rican diaspora uh, has mostly been um because of you know economic situations you know the economy of Puerto Rico has always been there's this saying that when the United States economically speaking has a cold Puerto Rico has pneumonia right. you know? <laughs> <laughs> so you know we have to leave right because it's things that you know even worse where we live so that's one of the reasons in disasters just the most recent spike in And the diaspora was just when Hurricane Maria something mm. like 100,000 Puerto Ricans left mostly wow. to mostly to Orlando and Orlando has become this Puerto Rican uh, site now of you know of, of, of people living there uh, and increased the population of Puerto Ricans in, in, in Florida dramatically so it's either natural disasters there was one and I write this in my corporate this in one of my short stories Puerto Ricans are left to go to Hawaii because of a hurricane San Felipe which one of the most devastating it was like a if you were able to to gauge it back then it would have been a five no doubt about it it just devastated mm-hmm. like the whole island and the housing in Puerto Rico back then was just chanties and you know like at shacks and stuff so uh, a lot of these Puerto Ricans left because they were cane cutters in the cane industry just sugarcane just got destroyed so they went to Hawaii so that's you know it's uh, disasters or economic reasons and then there's always people who just want to leave and they have access to Puerto, you know to the United States I mean we're we're American citizens which some people don't know or realize and because we're American citizens we can board a plane and just and, and fly anywhere in the United States that we want to mm-hmm. and that is another reason it might be just like my mother you know wonderless I just want to leave I want to check out the rest of the world so that she she left and Uh, for that reason even though she had a job and you know was it okay and there's also reasons you know familiar reasons but so that's made the main reasons uh, I, I think it's economic so that you pushed out really uh, or natural disasters that happen a lot uh, to us especially being on Caribbean island and is it correct to the they're still struggling with electricity issues too from from the hurricane yeah. right it's absolutely they have not gotten over that and now in economically you Now we have a, a junta I cannot believe they use that word in Latin America junta is not a good word you know that they would actually call this a junta I mean <laughs> it just it sounds, it sounds draconian <laughs> and evil you know what I mean you know like the junta in Chile they're not a good thing uh, so now they have this junta that basically every single economic uh, measure is done by this junta and they tell the legislature what to do So I mean we're colonized and this is even worse than colonization I mean this is now basically an American entity just basically running the show even though we're supposed to have you know governance but um, and then there you know the electricity is not being improved the grid is not improved and the last thing that we actually own as an island uh, was the electric company you know it was it was sort of subsidized and national as nationalized as it can be and now they make it they're trying to make it privatized which you Can you imagine the prices how high they're going to go up now right so it's a real problem so the island just doesn't have the infrastructure to deal with any huge impact whether it's a natural disaster or, or like they they can't bounce back 
They cannot. You need a good economy rolling to be able to then get money for the infrastructure, right? I mean, I I was was living there for a period of time and I left because I really, as much as I love Puerto Rico, I was just two two reasons. One, my wife says, you know, we got to leave, you know, and I'm married to her. So I said, my wife does not want to live here. (laughs) Right. And she's Puerto Rican, you know, I mean, from Puerto Rican ancestry. So she, and she, and, you know, it was getting really socially, it just, it was, it was not, not, and the, the salaries are really bad. They're hard. And, and it's expensive. People think, oh, it's an island. It must be really cheap. No, it's not because everything's imported. It's like Hawaii that way. Right. And so we, I just got a better job and I just left, you know. But this is in 2000. And here we are 20 years later and it's even worse. So I'm glad I left. You know, I'm not kidding. I didn't. I'm glad for my, for my kids and certainly make my wife happier. And I'm much happier, quite frankly, because things were just so stressful there. So they don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the the economy to really generate the revenue and they tax people so hard there. You know what I mean? And you don't get anything for your money. That's one thing. I mean, I, 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 I'm a socialist, man. So I believe I don't mind paying taxes, but what, what I do, I want to see something for that money, you know, right. that's helping me and helping other people. And so I had to put my kid in a private school because the public school system was really bad, really bad. I mean, my kid knew more English than the English teacher. Okay. Wow. I mean, that kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, so no, and education is important to me, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play and gamble with my kids' education when it's so bad, you know. The public schools there, and and then you know you're driving and all these potholes, and I don't know how much money I have to you know <laughs> fix some transmissions and the, the, the so I'm not getting that. I have to pay for on my own, you know, health insurance, uh, really strong astronomical because there's no there's no universal health care there either. Right. What am I getting for this? I'm not getting anything really that I can see. You know, um, homes are really expensive there. So I, I, I did that for, I left for that reason. So the infrastructure, to answer your question, is, is not in a good place because the economy has not ever been. Unemployment in Puerto Rico typically runs in a good year, like 10%, 8%. Wow. And, you know, that's officially. Right, you know? right, right. So you cannot function with that. The GMP is really low. I mean, it doesn't grow, you know, because it doesn't really control its economy. It doesn't really. You know, you can't, we cannot even import export with other countries. The United States just has a big dump and they send whatever they want there. And, and so you, there's no governance. Uh, true, the, the island doesn't have, you know, uh, many natural resources, but we have an incredibly educated workforce. One of the most, one of the most educated in all of Latin America, honestly. And so with that alone, you know, you could find ways to do things, certainly to feed your own people of 3 million people, you could do it. And you, so I'm an independent beast. I believe in independence. But, you know, uh, I don't know if you, eventually we're going to get to this issue because it is an important issue when it comes to what's Puerto Rico, what should it be, state or independence? Those are the two alternatives. And I'm pro-independence, I think, for, for a lot of reasons. But I'm also know that statehood, if people wanted it, it would still work better than what we have now. Hmm. Something has to be resolved there because we just we're we are in the in between. That is the in between. Right. Know? We're not a state. We're not independent. For me, I'm Puerto Rican, but I'm not really there. From there, I mean, it's like it's it's. This is creates all it's kind of. It's interesting. It's like the like, the place oh. itself is is a metaphor for for so the people you write about. That's it's oh, yeah. very interesting. Piggybacking on that whole idea, why don't you talk about your book Migrations and what's the general premise? Okay, Migrations is again another. A work that, that attempts to keep answering these questions that I raised for myself as a, as a diasporic and a person who lives really in between two cultures that's very different than, than other cultures in a sense because we are citizens. We don't come here as 
foreigners. We're American citizens, and yet we still feel different, you know? Uh, and I, I often say that it's like being in a hallway, you know? I mean, it, it, between two rooms, you know? And even as I'm in the hallway, I know of these two rooms because I've inhabited both of these rooms, so I know what's going on there. But even when I go into any one of these rooms, I still feel like I'm in the hallway, you know? <laughs> that, that, that is my, that's how I feel. So how do I manifest that feeling into everything I write? So this, this was an attempt to really look at the history of Puerto Ricans and moments, you know, and kind of use some of those uh, historical moments and focus on each one in different stories to kind of give an entrance into some sense of what that's like, you know. And, and, and I think if people knew more about our history as Puerto Ricans and of the diaspora, those of us are, that, are, that are far away from our homeland and living in the U.S., what that's been like. So all these stories in one way or the other have some moments in history, whether it's all these Puerto Ricans that went to Hawaii, there's a story about that. There's a story about a Puerto Rican uh, who, who is trans, like transitioned. So talk about living in between, right? Uh, it, this is like a macho guy, like really a sucio, you know, you know, that, that sort of very toxic masculinist, you know, mm -hmm. that's my way of looking at, at that particular issue. Uh, and that he gets transitioned by accident and, and he has to deal with his own culture, which is so anti-trans and anti-gay anti uh, and all that. Uh, or whether it's Roberto Clemente, uh, who was a Puerto Rican icon, baseball icon. And now he's in an in-between because he's dead, but he's not really dead. He's sort of that in the afterlife <laughs> kind of like rigid and he cannot get out of there until he figures out who he is as an Afro-Puerto Rican. Because like, like a lot of Puerto Ricans, we don't embrace our Africanness or our African roots, right? So that that's a big problem, right? And and so so on, you know, and so forth. I mean, there's a lot of other issues that um, that I also um, bring up in, in in historical moments. But it was my attempt to use history as a way uh, to give readers a sense of uh, what what that experience is, has been like, raising all kinds of other issues uh, about us as a people. So um, I was lucky to, get, to win this prize because I think, I think it's a, a very diverse collection, uh, including, by the way, the last story is a sort of a summary, like a, it's an allegory of this dwarf whose name Macho, Macho the Dwarf. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you finished reading it or if you've read it or what would you've read, but this is an allegory where I try to summarize 500 years of history. You know, this is, you know, Puerto Ricans were here even before the pilgrims, okay? Right. <laughs> <laughs> we were here in the 1500s, you know, uh, and Ponce de Leon was our governor, right? We were, we were grappling, well, you know, we're trying to be not from Spain, but being in this new island and, and kind of developing our sense of who we were. That history from five, you know, 500 years plus of, of history and this one short story, Macho, his real name is Pedro Rico, you know. <laughs> so I think you know where that's going. So, you know, it's, it's, and it's sort of, jumps it's very magical realist in that sense it jumps from historical periods and so i thought that that was a fitting ending for for the whole collection but it has that thematic sense that feeling that's really what i'm trying to get at there so i hope i gave your listeners because i can i can talk i can rant <laughs> and I, I i hope i got the essence there of what that book is about no definitely it, it actually made me more inclined to read it does the fact that you have some magical realist uh realism yeah. elements to it, I think is really yeah. cool. So, yeah, yeah. and by the way, really the, cool. story, it, the collection begins with a young woman, uh, well, middle-aged woman who's just lost her husband, who happens to be a gringo, you know, happens to be American, 
uh, and he and she at the moment of the aftermath of Maria. So it begins in the now, and then it slowly gravitates to the past. And then there's like three stories that take place sort of in the near future. Uh, and one of them is really in world is really about a guy that's so Puerto Rican guy who's so distant from his own people and his culture that his only way after he loses his wife, he's a, he's a widower, is to immerse himself in a, like a virtual world in the new future, which I think, you know, this is, this is one issue that fascinates me is the virtual worlds and not with Facebook becoming meta now, and they're going to go to the metaverse. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is, so I wrote about this, like, you know, life's here and people have been, and, and what will that, what's going to be like? And for this guy, probably not a good thing because now he immerses in this virtual world because he can't deal with the real world. He can't, he can't deal with who he is. And that's not good, <laughs> you know? So that it, it runs the gamut from here to now to the past to near future. And then the last story, which is sort of all over the place historically uh, with this dwarf who has adventures in all these periods. So I hope uh, it, it, it kind of intrigues them enough to go, go and buy the book. Yeah, and it sounds like, so there, it's a collection of short stories, but what's the common thread is this whole theme of in-betweenness, just different characters yes. wrestling with it in different ways. Different ways and in different historical moments Okay, that are very important you know, to us. Sounds very cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated and intrigued. So you did and a good it, job breaking it down there. <laughs> I, I hope so. And if you read it, just let me know. I, love, I always want feedback, you know, and I wish people would tell me. And if you hate the book, tell me. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to tell I hate this book because, you know, because then I know. Okay, I haven't, I'm, I'm, you know, we write as writers to get a reaction from people, you know. I know. And sometimes, and, so I go to Goodreads and I said, some of them, okay, there's some, and some of them like, I don't think you got this at all. So, you know, how come I didn't get to you? You should have. So, you know, that, that gives me at least some, some sense. Oh, I, oh, I agree. As a, as a writer, you want nothing more than a reader <laughs> and yes. for a reader to, to, uh, to express, even if they don't like it, because that improves you as a writer. I, I absolutely, absolutely agree. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll try to, I'll, I'll try to get a copy of that because it sounds, it sounds interesting to me. So I got two last questions. Mm -hmm. Because your work has so much of a focus on this idea, what is one last nugget of wisdom you'd leave for anyone feeling displaced or disconnected from their roots and home? You got to reconnect, man. You got to reconnect. I mean, the, the thing that I, I, I would tell them is, look, to be an American means really to be a mixed person. That's the essence. It, it has always been, you know? So what they're trying to sell you from the beginning of this, this country really is this sort of this white Anglo, really, you know, British for the longest time. That was the, the North Star for everybody. We should be like the British, you know. And that's the, even though we broke away from them, right? There's still a sense that this is like, you know, and it's not. It is the antithesis of what American means. American in the concept, in the hemispheric sense, is a mixed people. That's who we are. You know, and if you, any American that looks into the DNA and looks, they're going to be a mix and they might be very white, but they're going to be Scottish, Irish, maybe even some Native American in there. Or, or if they're still white, they're still going to be a mix of different European countries. I mean, that's what we are. Mm -hmm. And so to, to, to be ashamed of, of you being, you know, whether it's Italian or Greek or, or any kind of a Hispanic nationality, you're doing yourself a disservice, but you're doing this country a disservice because this is what we are. We are, we need to embrace the reality that we are mixed. We are mixed people and, um, and celebrate that rather than being embarrassed by it. 
So, um, and, and how can you be yourself, right? I mean, I always think of the, we have a, a, a real uh, hero, you know, for Puerto Rican nationality. It, it was Albizu, you know, Pedro Albizu Campos, who was a nationalist leader and like super brilliant man. This man in like six languages. He was, um, I think he went to medical school too. He was a doc. I mean, he was, he graduated from Harvard, you know, at a time with, this is an Afro-Puerto Rican. And so he led the nationalist party to for independence and he always said you know if you and i'm paraphrasing anyone who really does not embrace who he is will be no will be nothing because he starts by denying himself or negating himself so that i take that to heart because you know i am puerto rican i have to find out what that means for me and and you know in any way anything i go forward i have to be myself and that's who i am part of who i am anyway so I feel sorry sometimes when people, even people who are just European, you know, and I thought, oh, so you come from, you know, yeah, but I don't know much about Ireland. I'm like, what? Why not? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's where your ancestors, part of your ancestors came from. So why don't you find out? And then there's some people who do, and they feel they, they get a better sense of, of their history. And history, the history of America, I don't know if you've ever seen the show with Louis Gates. I don't forget, it, it, basically, he has celebrities, right? That's what makes the show interesting, celebrities, because if it were you and me on that show, nobody would care. But if it's Derek <laughs> Jeter, you know, or it's, or it's uh, the daughter of, um, oh, my God, who's that, who's that singer that was, I can't remember, Jenny Cash, right? His daughter, who's also an artist, and then she finds out that, you know, her father was actually black, part black, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I've, Cash, seen, I've seen that, that show. Yeah. So that show is a great show because when I look at it and I talk, you know, when I see it with my wife and I can one times, you know, we sit down and watch it. I'm always fascinated how I look at the history of these people's ancestors and say, this is American history. This is American history at its best because it's about stories about families and your descendants who came here. You know, everybody has, it's the same story. They came from somewhere else to here and whether they were brought in chains and, and ships, right? Or whether we're already here. And then they had to deal with the turmoil of the people coming here uh, in the case of indigenous people. But it's fascinating to see their lives through people, family members back, you know, to 100 years or 200 years. So that's who we are, man. And, 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 it's, and I wish we embrace that and understand that because maybe all these divisions are ridiculous. In the case of the Johnny Cashes of the world, her mother was definitely mulata, you know, I don't mm -hmm. even want to use that word. She was biracial. You know, right. Puerto Rican, I mean, the, the, the mulatta thing, that, we shouldn't use that word, but um, mix, you know, and, and they, she always thought it was her and then she finds out that both of them. So um, and I don't know how many Americans that go out there who are probably super racist, super white supremacists, that if they did the DNA, they would go, oh, God, I am also <laughs> I have a little, I have a little, you know, a little bit of that African in me, you know, so um, because this is what this looks Jefferson, right? Jefferson, how many right. kids? With Sarah Lemmings, or was it Hemmings? Sarah Hemmings, yeah. Um, was it Hemmings or Lemmings? No, I don't remember. But you know, know, one of his slaves, who by the way was a, was I think a, a half sister of his wife or family member of his wife. Man, you can't get more like crazy than that. And for the longest time, you know, this guy had slaves. Uh, but that's horrible history. But it's part of our history, and we we got to deal with it. So yeah. So embrace your roots and, and reconnect. Embrace your roots and reconnect, man. Be American. Right. Hey, listen, as, as a fellow New Yorker, I've always taken pride in, in what a mix 
of culture in New York is, you know, and it's something I always take great pride in. And, and I have many, uh, family members that, that are all, uh, intermarried, you know, New York, you, cause we're all forced to live close to each other. You know, the child, I lived in Flushing, you know, so there's, there's Chinese Italian neighborhoods. Right. We're like a block away from each other, you know? Right. So yeah, we're, we're fortunate to have that, but there's some people in, out there in, in the so-called heartland who, who are, who never even see a person of color. Right. And they, and they, unfortunately, they think that that's the way things are. But for us, New York City, that's the way it is. And really, when you really think of it really objectively, that really is the way it is. It's just that it's spread out, right? In the cities, right. whatever. But you look at the numbers of the whole country as a whole, you realize that it's approaching even more. I mean, I think people of color are going to be half of the population. Now, you and me, we celebrate that. People, there are people who do, are scared of that. Right. And that's the key. That's the problem, politically speaking, in this country and going forward. This is where we're at right now in this country, I, I would say. There are a lot of people, you know, European Americans, i.e., also known, <laughs> aka white people, who fear that because you know they don't know black, they don't know black people, they don't know people of color, they don't, they don't know, they don't know how, you know, how great we are, how wonderful we are. Right. Just, they, they just think that this is fear thing, you know, like I've never seen one of those, and like, you know, oh my God, it's just sometimes you hear some of these people, you go, man, goodness. So that's the problem right now. But I do definitely embrace that if you are. And I think if these folks knew more about their background, you know, I had a really good commercial they had one time. I don't know what, what airline, no, I don't know what it was who's selling something. Maybe it was airlines or something. And they, and they said, um, you know, we'll give you a free ticket to Mexico if you do your DNA. And now this is the borderlands, right? Texas, Arizona, whatever, right? And if you have any Mexican ancestry, we'll get, you'll be free, free flight. And some of them did it. And they, they were shocked about that, that they were Mexican. And then and some of them just still refused to go, I ain't going to Mexico. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I just I had to laugh, but what a genius commercial that was, you know what I mean? To 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 you know fly to Mexico. Maybe it was having I don't know the flight. But you know, it goes to show you, right? Even yeah. afterwards, they would say, Oh, what am I gonna do in Mexico? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, sorry. I got one last question. This is just a fun one. Totally. Uh, it's been fun up to now. What are you saying? Off the grid has nothing to do with what we've been speaking about. So you got to put your creative hat on, which I know you have. Okay. So I've been asking all my guests, if you can choose one superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, man. I, I got, I, it's to be able to read people's minds. Uh, I think that would be great. To be able to know what people are thinking, you know what I mean? Because I don't know, maybe there's the paranoia in me, you know, and it was Bukowski who said, just because people, you know, uh, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people are not after you. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they still might still be after you. Uh, so I don't know, maybe it's just that. That's just what came to my mind uh, because uh, just to see other people's thoughts, sometimes we, we're constantly dealing with, situations where people tell you things and you know that 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 would be a great superpower i think i don't know that's a great one absolutely hmm. well if people wanted to follow you if they wanted to buy your books where can people reach you online and go about doing all that well the best way i mean if you want to go to my to my um my web author website which is jailtorreswriter.com you can go to a part where the books are there and you can you can do it but you know this these books 
you know, are, are pretty much in all the major online. You can find them on Amazon. If you don't, if you're anti-Amazon, I can stand, then go to LARB Books, which is an independent bookstore, the ones that people have published me, and you can find it on their website. But you, you know, you could Google it and find it. You know, um, I mean, I'm, I'm in the wiki universe now. <laughs> Somebody right. actually wrote a wiki page for me, uh, which I was very happy that he, that this person did because you know he asked me, "Why aren't you not on Wikipedia?" And I said, "I don't know." You know, <laughs> so he said, "You should be." I said, "Okay," so he did it. So, um, but you know, you could you could Google me and, and you could find probably the books anywhere. I also have that blog if they were interested. Sort of, I've been slow on lately but i want to get back into it uh i write about different things topics having to do with politics culture and, and literature and so they can do it there i'm on twitter you know a Rican writer uh i'm also on facebook who does facebook these days right i mean and, and i don't know if you're if you're a younger audience probably not and i'm you know i'm trying to i'm trying to hit all the social media stuff but you know uh like instagram you know i i i'm not you know, instead of taking pictures all day, I write. Right. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't be taking pictures and selfies and stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I have no an Instagram worries. account. <laughs> people have people Instagram do account. put, writers do have, uh, do have, uh, they take pictures of things they're writing or put quotes on, on, there, on there. So sure. there, there are ways to I'm go not, about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've done some of that, but, you know, again, I, you know, I'm not, I hear you. I'm yeah. Well, I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. JL Torres, thank you for coming on the Story King podcast and sharing your story with us. Thank you, Giancarlo. Thank you. I love that name, by the way, Giancarlo. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I really had a lot of fun. So that was my conversation with JL Torres. All of his links will be in the show notes. Don't forget to check out storykingbooks.com. Also, you can follow us on Instagram. The username is storyking.podcast. I post weekly short stories, writing tips, and quotes from famous authors. You don't want to miss that. And please click like on our Facebook page. We're at facebook.com forward slash storykingpodcast. If you'd like to be a part of what we're doing with this show, please consider becoming a patron. You could choose a monthly membership tier at www.patreon.com forward slash thestoryking. All those links I just mentioned will be in the show notes. One more thing, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do me the favor of sharing the show with your friends and on social media, subscribing to it, and leaving a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Story King podcast, a show about the art and business of storytelling and living life. Please join us next time. Until then. <laughs>